Welcome back to the Hall of Sports podcast. We are here for another football after show, and I am joined by my regular guests, Joe and Hayter. How are you doing today, Joe? Yeah, I'm all good, thank you, mate. Yeah, not too bad at all. Refreshed after a nice, uplifting win yesterday for, for United, and looking forward to what's in store this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. What about yourself, Hayter? It's Friday, it's good to get to the weekend after a long week of work, lots of podcasts. How are you doing? Yeah, mate, I'm good. Uh, yeah, long, long week of work. Uh, we've had like a global kickoff at work. So that basically means that we've had loads of webinars and I am knackered. So yeah, looking forward to the weekend. May United won yesterday, as Joe said. And we did do Red Devils talk, obviously, on my show, on my channel. So I'm really excited to be sitting talking to you boys because I've definitely missed you. Yeah, absolutely. Just before we get started, just to make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on YouTube. So again, it's just Hollow Sports Podcast. You can find us, like I said, on Twitter, uh, Spotify, YouTube, Instagram, all those and below. So I guess the perfect way to start is to start with European football because we finally got that back this week. So we had the Champions League and the Europa League. So I'll start with you, Joe, in terms of the Champions League as an overall. is how's, How to feel getting to watch the Champions League while knowing that United aren't involved in after the kind of poor and to our group stage in the Champions League. Yeah, remember to take it off on mute there. There we go. I just realised just in time. But now, to be honest with you, mate, yeah, it's difficult. I'll tell you what it did to me. I was watching, the, I think the first game I watched this midweek was Barcelona, PSG. And while I was watching it, I was just thinking to myself again, just what position we were in in that group, you know what I mean? And and just thinking, again, how I sort of got rid of those thoughts about how we messed it up sort of thing, but they all come flooding back again once once I heard that Champions League too. But also another side of me thinking, actually, it's probably for the best that we weren't in it because we might have been humiliated. I mean, if we were coming up against that PSG side um, the other day, we wouldn't have been, obviously, because we were in their group. But I, I just think it, it wouldn't have been necessarily pretty for you know I just think we're not at that level yet to be honest with you it's all well and good qualifying for these things and going through but at some point along the way these teams are going to hand it to you and I mean it was quite scary at times just how well PSG were playing I even look at that Barcelona team I mean it's obviously they are struggling at the moment they're a shadow of the great Barcelona team but even with what they've got in attacking areas, you wonder if they were up against our defence. You know, it, it, they they would have even... We'd have struggled against them as well, even though they're not great at the moment. So, a little bit of tinge with regret, but also thinking, actually, the reality check that we're just not at this level. When you see how well the, some of the standard of the games and how well they were played, it, it just makes you realise United just aren't there, as sad as it sounds. Yeah, today going to kind of look at, because obviously I think you look at the games that especially during the week. I think the biggest one was that PSG and Barcelona game. So I guess, Heather, we'll, we'll start with you there. Is how good were PSG? Because we we saw them twice this year already, and they played really well in that second game against us, but I don't think we saw the same quality from what we saw against Barcelona. Is that as simple as new managers come in, players have kind of taken to that system a little bit more, or... Or is it just that the likes of Kylian Mbappe have looked really, really good under Maurizio Pochettino? It's a tough one because um, I still think they were a really good side under Tuchel. We saw they got to the final last season. Uh, Thomas Tuchel's a, a very, very good manager. Uh, probably underappreciated. I would say he's probably a manager who is... Um, undervalued as well. I don't think he's rated as highly as a lot of people do say, although I've got a friend who's a Chelsea fan. He keeps on messaging me. He's the same one that said Nagelsmann and Lampard. Uh, Lampard's as good as Nagelsmann. Um, and he keeps on messaging me going on about how Chelsea are going to do this, this and this. But he's a very, very good manager. We know a lot about Maurizio Pochettino. We know his qualities, uh, although a very large section of the United fan base seem to have an irrational hate for him like they do other people who don't end up at Manchester United. It's very, very odd something that I have a real issue with. You know, they cheer when, when PSG lose. I mean, who cares? Like, no one no one cares. You know, if, if Poch goes and wins a trophy like he did, he won that, you know, the equivalent of the, the French charity shield. You saw a lot of United fans, uh, oh, it's not a real trophy. So, you know, it's just very, very odd behaviour. 
it's our fan base, you know, nothing surprising me anymore. But the biggest thing for me, from back to front, they were so, so well drilled. <clears throat> I haven't seen that from PSG in a while. Even under Tuchel, I think they pressed very well. I mean, it might even be the fact that Neymar and Di Maria didn't play. I know that they're both fantastic players on the front foot, but they're not two players that I associate with <clears throat> the most uh, industrious work off the ball. What I really liked watching from PSG was that while they looked defensively solid, they were they were very good going forward. And Mbappe looks like he's a hit another level. Now, I tweeted that this was quite a significant night for Mbappe. <laughs> Not many times players are on the pitch with Lionel Messi, and yet he wasn't the player that anyone was talking about. That's huge. And I do think that was almost a coming-of-age night. <clears throat> you saw him, I believe, on the Tuesday in Haaland on the Wednesday. I think you might be seeing, it's a bit premature to say it is now, but you're starting to see the handing over of the of the torch so to say, so to speak from Messi and Ronaldo to the next crop or the next generation of talent and I do think that Mbappe he does lead it for me I think Haaland's fantastic but Mbappe's that player now we saw what Richard Pochettino did with Harry Kane and with Son he took them fantastically talented players especially Kane and took them to an absolutely uh, you know immense level of quality I mean Harry Kane is considered one of the best strikers in the world I think that's something he could do with with Mbappe. Yes, there are there are concerns, you know, like Poch hasn't won any trophies. You can bring that up, but as a side, doesn't matter if this is a poor Barcelona side, which it is. And I, and I do think this United side would not have gone under the current management. They would not have gone to the new camp and won four one. Like we still need to remember, this is Barcelona at home. Even with their troubles, they're still a good side. They still can beat anyone in the competition. They've got Messi. To do that, that convincingly was the impressive thing for me. So, you know, you know, I'm a massive, massive fan of Pochettino. If there's one manager in the world football who I, I would say is my favourite manager, it's him. I'm just what I'm impressed, and I also I sometimes I doubt him as well. I think you know has he has he really got it? But the fact that he got a performance like that out of Mbappe, and the fact he did that away at the new Camp, it is shouldn't be shirked. It shouldn't be smirked at either, and uh, he should get all the praise for that. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a it's an interesting one. And I just wanted to look at kind of Mbappe under under Poch for PSG. It's a really interesting one. Is that you look at the way he's playing? He looks like he's just way more free. And um, and basically, for example, you have seven goals and two assists since Poch took over. You have even just look at the Barcelona game. He had ten touches in the Barcelona box, six, six shots, and four and four uh, were on target. Joe, how impressed were you um, with Kylian Mbappe against Barcelona? Is is incredible, Kieran. I think um, there's not a lot more I can say than what Hayde just said. I think when you're talking about announcing yourself on the world stage, being the net, being the person to take the baton on maybe from the Ronaldo Messi era. How do you do that? You do it by doing it on the same pitch as Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo. And look, he was head and shoulders above anyone on the pitch. And one thing I've always been consistent about with Mbappe, probably ever since I saw him in that 2018 World Cup for France, where I thought he was brilliant there. I think what sets him apart from a lot of youngsters around the, the world, around Europe, and look, we'll talk a little bit about Marco Trafford later, no doubt. It's just his, he just seems to make the right decisions all the time. It's, you know, we can talk about how clinical he was against Barcelona, and he was. I mean, that was the key to his performance against Barcelona, just how clinical he was. But I've always been the fan of him, of his decision-making. When he gets into certain positions, he just seems to pass when he should pass and shoot when he should shoot. And look, I know that that's not always going to be the case because he's young and you're going to get inconsistencies. But actually, I think more than most young players, it, it, it's just an intelligence to his game that I like. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that they were talking about this on commentary in the game, is that he's a very humble young young man. You know, he, he's the rumours are when he broke into that Monaco first team, he used to socialise a lot with his Monaco youth team that he came through. You know, he didn't forget where he'd come from. He, he had a lot of time for all his teammates at that level still, even when he became a first team Monaco player. And I think you see that reflected in his football as good as he is and as brilliant as he is, he sort of knows when it's time for it to be the Mbappe show, but he knows when it's time for it 
for PSG and, and, and when he needs to use his teammates. And I think it's that's what sets him apart for me. I think his football intelligence and his decision-making is on another level from anyone else who's in that second tier just below Ronaldo and Messi. In fact, you could he's almost getting up to their tier now, so I don't even know if he is second tier anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other player that I was really impressed with was probably Marco Verratti um, because we haven't seen him play for quite a while. Um, so... Uh, he was one of those that I think he was a real catalyst in the game. You, while Mbappe will get all the plaudits, you look at Ferrari in that midfield, and I think he was one that kind of brought it up and kind of helped progress the play for PSG. In terms of how he played, Hayter, do you think there's been a big difference in what we see under kind of this more attacking style under Poch now for PSG that we just didn't see under Tuchel? Because you have to remember that PSG are now doing this without Neymar where they were able to spread the play. Like you saw when United were able to stop Mbappe, Neymar was the big problem in that second time we played them. But Barcelona could have tried to stop Mbappe and then they would have had a better chance. But when you have other players as that second and third option, like you had Verratti playing as, it was, it was a big difference. And I think that's what brought a lot to this PSG side. He's an absolutely fantastic player. Now, he's one of those that's been around for a very, very long time. I do think his stock's actually fallen. Um, you forget about him. He's had fitness problems. He's had disciplinary problems. You know, he gets injured quite a lot. Um, but on his day, Kieran, he's absolutely top draw. He's such a he's such an enjoyable player to watch. If Manchester United wanted a player that sat sat a bit deep and could play a little bit, you know, control the tempo of the game, play progressive passes, break the lines, you know, from deep, almost like Carrick. I'm not saying he's like Carrick, but, you know, that sort of player. I've sort of put him in, and this is really high praise, I put him in the similar category to to Tony Kroos, that sort of style of a player. Um, very, very good on the ball. He was he was top job. He's got a bit of bite to him as well. He can go in for a tackle. He reminds you a bit of like Scaldi. He's not the best at uh, slide tackling, but he gets stuck in. He's just a very, very good player. He was a bit disillusioned with his time at PSG, I believe. I remember I spoke to Jeremy Smith. Obviously, you guys know him, uh, the French football expert. And we were talking about the situation. The players really liked Tuchel, um, but there was obviously problems with Tuchel and Leonardo. And, um, you know, Tuchel was almost waiting to get sacked. Um, you know, lots of reports he wanted the United job. Anyway, uh, you know, talking about Verratti, he was someone who was possibly looking to angle away Moving sometimes that's what you need, don't you? Sometimes, I mean, he's been at PSG for a very, very long time, but sometimes you need a change of manager, something different for you, um, just to spark you back into life. His fitness is a big, big thing, but I, I was really impressed with him. You're right, it seems to me that PSG, especially the other day, were looking to play on the front foot a lot more. I think what will suit him is probably playing five to ten yards further up. You know, the PSG will play a higher line, they'll press as well um more more vigorously and even though they press on the two call but you know he will have that sort of role i just think he's a fantastic player one of the things that stood out to me though about psg was they just they looked focused that was the biggest thing we've seen with PSG, they look like a team you know when you look at them you think right this is a an absolutely embarrassment of riches of a squad but you look at the team and you're like they're, they're not together Maybe it's the fact that Neymar wasn't there, and I think Neymar's a fantastic player. Maybe the fact he wasn't there, maybe the fact that Di Maria, who's a very, very good player, but a bit of a character. Um, you you kind of think that what would Cavani have done in this team under Pochettino? Because I really do think Cavani is a player that he's a he's a pressing, he's a pressing dream for a manager. And we don't press, do we? We're disjointed in that, and that's one of the biggest problems of this side. So I do sometimes think that, but you know, sort of going back to um as a team we've seen in the past i saw a good tweet actually i don't know who it was by so i can't credit them but um Bayern munich obviously lost to chelsea that year in 2012 won it the year later um i believe there's a few other teams that have done the same uh, where they've lost the year before and they've come back and they've won it psg could be that team I, I wouldn't be surprised if they win it kieran i think manchester city are the favorites but i would not be surprised because wouldn't it be some story that Pochettino's never won a trophy 
He's you know destroyed by United fans for no reason. Uh, sacked by Tottenham. Um, you know, for Jose Mourinho, goes and wins the Champions League. It'd be a wonderful story. And to be honest, I'd quite like to see PSG win it under him. Yeah, look, I think you're completely right. I, I know a lot of people say Man City are favourites, but any team that has a player like Kylian Mbappe can, can win. And it's the same thing with Neymar. I'm not, I, I used to be a really big fan of Neymar, but right now I... I see Mbappe as one class and Neymar a little bit below. He's kind of where we mentioned it before with Di Maria, where it's more he's the that's the individual player that can provide that moment of brilliance. But Mbappe is that catalyst that can make you actually win a game. And that's kind of what you look for. I guess the one thing to kind of mention when we talk about how great PSG were, I read a story today about kind of PSG and Man City and how other teams need to be able to catch up. And the one thing that we have noticed, and it's it's quite worrying, is that there's this regression of this one superpower, Barcelona. We've seen it before. So we've seen the likes of AC Milan go through the same, where they went through years of dominance. We've seen the same thing with United. They went through years of dominance. We've, we're now starting to see that with Barcelona. as Because you look at Barcelona... And you saw Lionel Messi coming through. And you're like, this is going to be an incredible team. He comes straight after Ronaldinho. So who's the one that has to come in for Lionel Messi now? And you don't really see it. I know last year everybody was thinking it was Ansu Fati, but he hasn't done much this year either. It's a, it's a tricky one because you can't see it getting much better for Barcelona. So, Joe, I'm going to pose this to you. Is... How important do you think it is for some of these other big clubs in European football that they actually need to keep up with the likes of Manchester City and PSG? Who look the reason why I think they're getting such a big advantage now is because we're in a COVID world where there's a lot of teams that can't pay money. Before we saw the likes of Madrid, Barcelona, that they would spend hundreds of millions every single year, and it wouldn't matter if it worked or not, they could do the same again. But they're not doing that. But the likes of PSG and Man City, no matter what happens, they have multi-billionaires as their as their owners. So what do, do you believe that these bigger clubs that aren't Man City or PSG, they just need to try and keep up with them in terms of recruitment to try and limit that advantage that these big clubs might have when we look at the Champions League? Yeah, it's difficult for them, Kieran, I think, because I think, whether you like it or you don't in football now, if you're going to be successful, you need to have some financial backing behind you. It's very difficult to do it now without that because, you know, even to, you know, we look at that famous Barcelona Academy, for for, for example, and you could say, well, you know, they need to look at that again now because they've obviously had, they've unlocked a few gems from that academy in the past with the likes of Xavi and Yester, people like that, you know, who have brought them success for a sustained period of time. But, even an academy that's going to run well costs us money as well. You know what I mean? That doesn't, it doesn't come free out. The, the products and, the, and the, the rewards you might reap from it, you could say are free because they come through your academy, but it, there's cost to it. And especially for Barcelona, because they're wanting to attract the best young talent from around Europe. And you know, Kieran, because you know, you look at the academies from all over Europe, you know, young players are costing money now. I mean, Ahmad Diallo has cost 37 million for United and, He's had to play three games in the under-23s before he gets a shot at the first team. So young players don't come cheap anymore. We're scouting younger and younger and younger. And obviously there's rules around that as well that makes it difficult. There's restrictions around that, especially now with Europe being slightly different. So it's a really tricky one for them to get back to the top. It's not going to be a quick fix. I think you've seen that with United, obviously. You know, it's it's... Once you do drop off the end of the cliff, there's no sort of trampoline at the bottom that's going to bring you straight back up. You know what I mean? You've got to work at it. You've got to be patient. And the problem is, is that Barcelona might still win their league two out of five years. Every, you know, might win two out of five league titles because let's be honest, Atletico, yeah, are doing well this year, but generally it's between them and Real Madrid. But that's, you know, just because they win their league doesn't mean to say that that's a barometer for them winning the Champions League anymore because I feel like La Liga, the strength of La Liga, has dropped off and that's not going to, even that's not going to prepare them for 
European football. I think Barcelona and Real Madrid won a lot of European titles a few years ago because they were playing against each other a lot, and it, you know they were the they were the main forces in Europe. So when they played against anyone else, it didn't seem such an issue for them, if you know what I mean. But actually, now they're getting weaker. The pair of them, both at the same time, funny enough as well, because I think just as much as Barcelona are dropping off, I think Real Madrid are as well for similar reasons. It's it they haven't got that competition and that level of competition. I I think Barcelona was probably took back by the level of PSG the other night. They probably weren't expecting that. They probably thought, well, no PSG side can give us a game like Atletico Madrid can, like Real Madrid can, but actually they can now because the standard in Europe has gone up. And I think the standard in Spain has slightly come down, obviously, with people like Ronaldo Have we lost him? Yeah, it looks like we may have lost Joe there. So we'll wait until he pops back on. But again, it is an interesting one because we, we look at the Champions League and you look at, we've been talking about Mbappe and I personally think in terms of the Barcelona one is that they had planned Neymar to be that guy that was going to take over from Messi and I don't they didn't expect what actually happened they didn't expect that he would be able to uh to go to come back um so i guess the next one is when you look at some of these superstar players coming through we've mentioned mbappe the second one goes to that second big match midweek and that was the haaland and sancho for dortmund now it was it turns out to be a close game because it's three two but three away goals and Erling Haaland just, it kind of defies description what he's been doing. I think the best way to kind of show it is that in terms of the Champions League, he has 18 goals and 13 Champions League appearances and 22 and 19 UEFA club competition matches. There's only one player that has more before the age of 19. And of course, who that is, is Kylian Mbappe. It's very obvious that these two players are probably the next two world superstars. Mbappe's been at that level because he's already won the World Cup with France and that's where he was really kind of shown off to the world. You could tell the class that Mbappe had. Um, I think Joe's come back. There he is. Sorry about that, lads. Sorry about that, guys. I've just I've had to move to another room. <laughs> You're fine. Basically, I think Mbappe showed it from early times when he was at Monaco. The fact that he was able to bring Monaco all the way through in, in the Champions League, if they got to the semi-final that year, that was that was ridiculous. But what we've seen from Haaland over the last couple of years is, is incredible. Now, one of the big debates that's been going on since the end of the Champions League games this week is, if you're starting a team, what player would you prefer to build around? Would you prefer to build around Kylian Mbappe or would you prefer to build around Erling Haaland? I'll give this one to you later. Oh, mate, that's like it's like choosing between your kids. That is which one's your favourite? There's always a favourite, hey. There's <laughs> always a favourite. Yeah. Favorite. Unfortunately, I'm neither to either parents, so uh, <laughs> that's why I'm here doing a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh god, this is so difficult. I mean, look, those numbers are absolutely ridiculous. I was just thinking, uh, you know, I was going to pose this question to you, Kieran. Um, I'll pose it to you. You can answer it after. But uh, I was going to say to you, though, know, is Mbappe one of the best teenagers you've ever seen? Oh, not teenagers, but, you know, is he the be one of the best young players? Because Ronaldo was phenomenal, but he wasn't putting up these numbers. Wayne Rooney was probably the best teenager I've ever seen. Messi was unbelievable as well, but Rooney was on another level. But you got to ask, you know, is are Mbappe and Haaland, you know, even better at this age you can be a really good teenager like when really was an incredible teenager and he had a great career but you could even say there are times you're like well did he really fulfill that potentially shows as a teenager um when i look at them both it's really really difficult what i'm gonna do kieran is i'm actually gonna i'm gonna use united as a use case because i think that's the easiest way to do it and when i have a look at it both different types of players i mean you know there's a there's a bit of a debate you know where's mbappe's best position for me he's definitely a striker but he's a different type of striker, isn't he? He's the sort of striker that you want um, who will get in behind. He'll stretch the fences. He's fantastic in the channels when he drifts out wide with the ball. He's a very good dribbler. He'll win you many, many penalties every every season. I mean, he's just he's fantastic. He's close control. He's a very good finisher as well. Whereas Haaland, for me, again, again, he can play. He plays on the last man. He's fantastic at that. But he can hold the ball up. 
He's very clinical in the box. Anything in the box, he's a very cool finisher. I would argue he, I would say Mbappe scores a more um, wide range of types of goals, but I'd say, I would say Haaland is an absolute predator in the box and he's better at that. Um, Haaland's better in the air. It's a really tough one. I'm looking at what Manchester United have right now. Both can play in, the, in a system that presses. Both have great mentality. I mean, it's really, really difficult. I would argue that United probably need more of a Haaland figure, I would say. But imagine if they were both in the same team. And you could probably play him back, play off the left. You could play him off the right. You could play him with Haaland, you know, playing off him. It's, it's frightening those two together. They will be the two best players. And you've got to think of some of the talents going around. I think Foden will be up there. I don't know if he'll be on the level of Mbappe because I do think when people say someone's a generational talent, I think Mbappe is generational. I would I would argue that Haaland's the closest thing that I've seen to Ruud van Nistelrooy for talking about United. Mm. Ruud van Nistelrooy for me, look, I'm 25, so when I was growing up, you know, sort of in the you know early 2000s is when I do remember. Um, I have flickers of you know sort of just before then, but Ruud van Nistelrooy was was the striker I grew up with. And he was phenomenal. And you just knew one chance and he would score. And that's how I feel with Haaland. And I tweeted last night during the United game, we saw Rashford miss those chances. But Tommy obviously had a good chance. Well, we created eight big chances yesterday and we missed four of them. So we scored the other four. That's really bad. You know, they're a side that miss a lot of big chances. Now you want someone like Haaland on the end of these. And if you had someone like Haaland on the end of these, you'd be on par with City right now, probably, I would argue, possibly. But... Yeah, the way I look at it is that Haaland is, for me, the closest thing I've seen to Ruben Nistelrooy. Mbappe is just another level. Like, I, I don't even... I've, I've run out of words to say about him. But, um, look, if the summer in the summer, if it came to it, my my head says Haaland, because he's a logical one. Obviously, it's, we're not going to get Mbappe, probably not going to get Haaland. But my heart says Mbappe, because I would love him to be playing for my team, because I think he is the player who will be, who will be leading and winning Ballon d'Or's you know, two or three in his career. The important thing is that they're very different players. And when people say, I'd rather have Mbappe over Haaland, you need to actually break down why you would choose someone and how he's going to fit in. We've spoken about this a lot of times, but fans, fans think it's FIFA. So, yeah. But yeah, I'll ask you your question. I mean, are Mbappe, is Mbappe one of the best teenagers or he's not a teenager anymore, but is he one of the best youngsters you've seen? Because to score that many goals in the Champions League and just to have this output is, is mind-blowingly good. Yeah, it's a it's a tough one. I think even just looking at Mbappe as a teenager, I think he was probably the best that's come through. Because if you look at Messi, and you can probably make the case that when he was in his age 19 season was where you were starting to see the Messi that we were expecting. So there's obviously that one. There's not many others. There was the likes of Luis Figo and Zinedine Zidane that were really good early on. But even you look at some of the United legends, yes, there was players like Beckham, Giggs, to a certain extent. Giggs was a little bit older, um, but the likes of Beckham, Rooney, you've mentioned already, are were fantastic young actually, players. Actually, Michael Owen was one of the best youngsters. He won the yeah. battle. That's how, I, that's how I actually, that's a very good comparison, Owen and Mbappe. I know Owen's a, no one likes him, but he was ridiculous at that six, 17, 18, 19, 20, wasn't he? What about what about what about Kaká as well? Or was he a teenager when he was bursting on the scene? He was good. He was good as a no. teenager. I just yeah. don't think he was at because we're we're comparing the levels and like Mbappe now is probably if you disregard Messi and Ronaldo is probably the best player in world football and he's mm. the he's the one that changes the game and that's why when when you talk about it and the reason why look Mbappe wouldn't is never going to leave PSG they can pay him more money than he'll ever need and to be honest I feel like it's going to be very hard he's look he's French as well so do you, yeah do you think that the Real Madrid move won't happen because of their finances do you think that do you think he will come to Premier League maybe to Liverpool let's say if they sell one of their front three See, the problem is I can't see, unless Mbappe is desperate to leave, I can't see that happening because in terms of fin finances, nobody's going to be able to give him more than what PSG can give him. Because if Liverpool wanted to come in, let's say, pay him 300 grand a week, PSG have no problem saying, okay, we'll pay you 350 or four because they have that amount of money. And Mbappe is, 
look, he's not only their best player, but he's you go to Paris and you'll see every single thing to do with PSG is Mbappe. You'd expect it to be Neymar, but it's not. It's Mbappe. So he's worth more to PSG than just a player on the pitch. And that's why I think it's very there's very little chance that he's going to move. And if he spends the next five or six years there, he's basically spent the core of his career at PSG. And I think that's probably what he wanted. It's different if it was a Portuguese player like Ronaldo or Messi and they were at PSG. You could probably say, yeah, they might want to go to a team that they really loved growing up. But for all we know, Mbappe was supported PSG. I know there'll, there'll be stories that oh, he liked watching Real Madrid or he had like a flag of this club in his room. But at the end of the day, he's French and it's it would be the equivalent for, for us supporting like a local team. That could be it as well. I can't see him going. So when I see the comparisons of Mbappe and Haaland, the first thing that goes into my head as a United fan is if United had the option of signing Jaden Sancho or Erling Haaland, what would I want? And like Hayter said, and we'll kind of move on to kind of United with Sociedad now because I think that's a big one. Um, the style of player that we need, it's it's tough because my head does say Haaland will be perfect in a United team. He would fit straight in. But then I look at Dortmund and everything that happens with Dortmund goes through Jadon Sancho. And it comes back to where I know Haaland gets every, got all the praise midweek, but Jadon Sancho was absolutely amazing in that game. He wants to leave. He's someone that United clearly want to bring in. But look, at the end of the day, if we got who we wanted, both players would have been playing for Manchester United. It's It was kind of the clear thing, and it kind of goes to what we've seen. We need more clinical attacking players. We go to the Sociedad game, and Hayter mentioned already, we had eight big chances and we scored four. So I guess the first thing to kind of, kind of bring this to you, Joe, is were you impressed with the attacking output of United considering they won 4-0 against a Real Sociedad team who are fifth in La Liga and have played pretty well? Or do you kind of come away from the game a little bit disappointed because the chances we did miss, the chances you have to score. And in a really big game, let's say it's against Man City or it's against Liverpool, there are chances that if you miss, you, you don't win the game. And we've seen that in, in previous ties against the big clubs in England. So for me personally, I came away, it was like, it's brilliant that it was 4-0, but the game suited the United team. And what I came away with was that the chances that we missed, that's a typical game for United where we miss those chances and we drop points in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean it's difficult to be disappointed, isn't it? When you win, when you win four 0 I understand that. But we've talked on on other shows extensively about how United need to find that clinical edge, need to put teams away, put them to the sword. And look, when you bring up stats about big chances missed, missed, they never seem to matter in in a four 0 But they matter when you're playing West Brom at the weekend, and you what? I don't know. The stats create no big chances, one big chance, two big chances. That's when you need. You're the people there who are going to score your big chances because there's going to be games where you're not going to get eight big chances. If you're going to get eight big chances, you're going to win a game. You should do anyway if you're a serious team. But there's going to be games when you don't get that amount of big chances, and that's when it matters more. It doesn't matter so much against Sociedad. Four nil's fine for me. You know, I was frustrated in the first half because not only would I wouldn't call them big chances, I call those big, big chances. I mean, the, the Rashford one where it's squared to him, it's just got to bury that. There's no pick a corner, bury it. The first one, the keeper's entitled to spread himself, make it difficult, it's difficult sort of angle, big chance. But the second one for me is a big, big chance. And and they are the ones that have got to go. And like I said, look, the West Brom game is a prime example last weekend. There'll be games when you don't get many. So when you get them, you've got to take them. So not concerned about it yesterday, but more concerned about it going into the future. We've already seen a game at Anfield this season where we had two or three what we call big chances, one for Bruno that sticks out in my mind. If you take that, you win the game. That's the difference. When it's 0-0 to 1-0, that is the difference. And they are the sort of two points here or there. It's the difference between 
sometimes winning your league, sometimes finishing top four, and at least being able to sustain the title challenge. You look at United now, the recent form says they've lost one in six. But actually, in amongst that, there's been a disappointing draw against Everton where they had more chances, ridiculously it sounds, even though they scored three, they had more chances to score more in that game. They dropped points against West Brom where, to be fair, they didn't create too much, but there was the odd moment where if they had better players on the pitch, I think they would have made it. And this is different, you know, all of a sudden you're talking four more points, then we're looking at City and thinking it's six points rather than ten. We've got to play them again still. Look, it's, it's all this and buts of the season, but there are certain things you can do, I think, as a club, as a team, to eradicate some of these ifs and buts. And what United need to do is they need to bring in a more clinical, at least one more clinical player into that attacking front three, whether it's Jaden Sancho, Haaland, whatever. So I think, but I think Jaden Sancho, if you were putting money on it being Haaland or Sancho right now, it's probably Sancho because of what's gone on before. And obviously, United obviously trying to do that deal before. You'd like to think that there's a lot of work being done in terms of stuff with the player, but there's no guarantee. I was sat here last year thinking the same thing. I thought United might side Sancho and they didn't, so we'll have to see. But uh, yeah, they we did. So we did many a show, didn't we? About Sancho. Yeah, yeah. But then that's what they need. You know, that's what United need now. They need someone who can turn the 2-0s into 3-0, 4-0. So you're not worrying if you concede a goal. When we were 2-0 up against Everton, as soon as De Gea made that mistake, I'm worried. I'm worried. And I shouldn't be, because I shouldn't be thinking to myself, oh, it's all right, we'll probably go and get a third at the other end. But I don't think that. When we're 2-0 up and we make it 2-1, the the only thing I'm thinking is the next goal will be to the opposition again. It'll be 2-2. Yeah, that's the biggest issue. And one interesting thing that you could kind of see yesterday and it was it was impressive we all mentioned that before that Dan James had a pretty good game yesterday and even though it looked that game suited the way he plays and shows that he has kind of a role in the squad but what it showed to me was that just how important balance is in that attacking line for United because we were able to use the right side yesterday because of all the space that was there so what could happen when there actually is someone that can play there long-term that you know that, let's say, you have Cavani, you have Rashford and you have Sancho or you have Greenwood, Rashford, Sancho, or you can kind of mix and match those. For me, it just shows just how important that balance is in the attacking third of the game. And it's one thing I think we have lacked. And yes, we do need more clinical players. I guess to kind of go on top of that there, is the fact midweek that we did get Mason Greenwood signing a new deal until 2025. How important do you think that was, Hayter? Because look, I know his initial deal that he signed when he first came through was quite short for a young player about to come through because normally when a young player comes through and they sign that first contract, it's usually not for as much money as they expect to be making in in those first few years so but then the contract usually gets redone and it's for a longer term but you usually see that first one being for five or six years and i believe mason greenwoods was for three and the main reason was he wasn't 100 percent sure at the time if he was going to be getting kind of all the game time that he wanted i know there was that transition from Mourinho to solskjaer and now we see he puts in the performances and he does what we asked the likes of Angel Gomez to do last year is if you put the work in, you get that contract. So how important do you think that was, even just for a look for the squad, that when you put that work in, and even we can say he hasn't had the greatest output in terms of goals and assists this season, but you can see where he's improving. And on the back of that then gets this pretty decent contract up until 2025. Massive. You know, I'm a massive fan of Mason. He's had a really difficult year, as we know, obviously with the, the suicide of his best friend, the horrible stories that have come out. Obviously, we saw the one in Telegraph yesterday and, and other stories uh, after the World Cup. Look, he's he's someone who almost at times carried Man United after the restart to top four. I think people forget. Do you remember the game against Bour- uh, Bournemouth? Oh my god! And then he also did it against Brighton as well. He was just the, he scored so many goals. How many did he hit? Twenty in all comps last season. Yeah, yeah he hit at the age of 19, 18, 19. It's absolutely mind blowing. He is like when we talk about Haaland, he is a player that could be if he was playing in, in <clears throat> if he was playing in Dortmund, 
he's probably doing what Haaland's doing right now. I really firmly believe that. So it's massive for Manchester United. He's for me. High, he's got high ceiling in the Rashford. He's going to be the number nine for Manchester United if all things go well. And obviously, he can keep fit and keep developing. I do think there's an element. I'm not saying he's got bad attitude. There's an element where he needs to iron out a couple of these off-field stuff because while he isn't 100% to blame, and I'm not blaming him, I do think at times perhaps you know he's putting himself in situations where you know someone films it or whatever. And and look, the, the media are discussing, but you know, I think I do think I don't think it's an attitude problem. Maybe there's an element of growing up that he needs to do. I mean, he's got the world at his feet. He's Mason Greenwood, one of the yeah. best talents around in world football. If that was me, I'd be a little bit, I'd have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. I can't lie to you. He obviously believes in himself. He seems like someone who doesn't really feel pressure. When I look at Mason, I don't, he doesn't look like someone where pressure gets him down. Um, when I, when I tweeted yesterday saying that I'd prefer Sancho as well over Haaland, the reason being is because I feel like it's a bigger, area that you might need to fill if you're going to decide that you want to play mason more centrally which is what the plan is going to be we said last season possibly 18 months he still needs to work on his hold-up play he doesn't like to play back to goal which is a problem but game time should help but um yeah when i look at it, i think sancho in that in that front line and you talk about balance that's got a nice balance now hasn't it mark although sancho's been playing off the left and that's where he's better so that's another dilemma for Oli. You know, we've got Diallo coming through as well. It's, it's quite exciting because you think about these possible combinations. Diallo looks very comfortable on the right. When I look at the balance, I think that United need to find a combination that's a long-term combination. While I love Cavani, he's not really a long-term option. Not convinced by Martial. I think if the money comes in, you shift him on. And then you look and bring someone who's really going to fit the role that Solskjaer wants from his wide men. And that's what Sancho does. And the biggest thing about Sancho, the IQ, Kieran, decision-making and IQ. You said everything goes to him. That's a really great way of putting it. He is so smart. I see people say, oh, I've seen Sancho so many times. I've never been that impressed. Well, then you're not, you don't understand football. You're not watching it properly. You're an idiot. But genuinely, you're an idiot. If you don't can't see what he's doing, it's, it's genuinely, it's, he's like two or three phases ahead. That's how he thinks. You know, he's such a smart player. But people don't see that. They see the kid, you know, like living the life. Let's be honest, because he's black. Let's be honest. There's an element of that. Oh, he's got a bad attitude. This, not at all. You speak to anyone, he's got such a great attitude. He didn't get the move that he wanted. United have to break the bank for him. Go and pay 80 million, I believe, 87 million, which is what's been quoted. I do think going back to Mason quickly, that we've got a really big talent in our hands. Now, we just got to be a little bit patient with him. It's quite clear that it's, it's rattled Ollie's plans a little bit. The fact he hasn't hit the same heights because we were relying on him as that as that outlet on the right wing. I think it's rattled Wambasaka's game not to have a regular partner playing ahead of him, although he does need to improve himself. So all these things together, if, if Mason can start banging in the goals, because our front three isn't, let's be honest, United are going to go and secure second. I'm convinced of that. I'm not saying first because I think it's over. So Ollie needs to sort out the balance of that front three because it's just not quite right yet. Yeah, I completely agree. The one thing I've that I've been really impressed with is last season when we were talking about Mason, we we're talking about his defensive work rate wasn't as great. When he's on the ball, he it was more of that he was just finishing and there wasn't much else. I think what you've actually seen him improve on is when I see him on the ball this time, he's looking up to see where he can create chances. Look, he pretty much had an assist yesterday. He was about an inch offside and that caused Dan James not to get that his second goal of the game. But we're seeing it pretty much every time he plays is he's actually he's turning into a creator as well, which is really important for the way Ollie wants to play. And it kind of shows just how good I think Ollie has been for the attacking players. And it's why I worry about Anthony Martial, because you look at Rashford, and we'll be talking about him in, in a couple of minutes. But when you look through each season that he had with Oli, he's improved every single season. We saw him bring through Mason, who had an absolute incredible season last season. You see the all-round parts to his game is starting to improve. Like Peter mentioned, that this, the last part of it is playing with your back to goal. The one thing I always have is you don't really improve on it until you get to perform it all the time. You get used to it. 
because at the end of the day in training it's nothing compared to actually playing in a game so i feel like like Hayer mentioned he is good he is that long-term solution there i think and that's what ali sees and he this season with cavani there it's probably been really good for mason because he's quick question for you kieran yeah go ahead do you think he's and joe you could probably answer this after if you want to but do you think Ollie's actually molding him into more of an inside forward off the right? Because while he is a number nine, I think he's going to be a number nine. He hasn't played there enough. I know he needs to develop his his hold up play, but he could probably be quite devastating, almost like Mo Salah off the left, off the right. Sorry, I think he wants each of his his attacking players to be able to play in all three positions. And I feel he knows that as the central striker, that if he gets a chance, he'll be able to score. I think the whole idea of putting him off the right was to improve that creativity, where it's not where it's not just you're the one finishing, but your job is also to supply other players. And I think we're starting to see that. It also comes to the point of that Solskjaer needed to do something because the right wing is was so inept for really quite a while i think the last time we had kind of productivity from that right wing was probably back when antonio valencia was playing well on the right wing we haven't had anybody else that's really produced in that position i think if we did sign sancho you probably would have seen mason just be the backup to cavani and you wouldn't have to force him to play it wide but you look at it and i always say this when new players come in is that the cream always rises to the top and Mason will do that. It's the reason you're seeing him play now. He went through so much early on. And I think now we're starting to see him play a lot better, play very direct. I think he was he was really, really good in that FA Cup game against Liverpool. And I think he's improved every single game since. And people that watch will, won't say that because he's not he hasn't scored the goals, but he's been one setting up a lot. And I think that's the element of what Solskjaer wanted to bring to his game. It's that improvement in the strikers. And you can mention this before, even before answering these questions, Joe, is I link these two with how Mason has improved, how Marcus Rashford has improved. Because we've seen a lot of people talk about Rashford and how he's regressed and how he's had a really bad couple months and that he hasn't been productive for Man United, which, by the way, is completely false. Because you look at the stats, you look at the games, he's one of the most important players for Manchester United. But before we kind of dive into kind of those stats, how well do you think Ali has done with some of the attacking players to improve them season on season? Yeah, I think he's, I think he's done really well. I, don't get me wrong, though. I think there's still work to do there, but I think... A lot of the work to do with these strikers is between these now. I think. I think it's it's the it's the mental side, it's the brain, it's the decision making, it's the making the right choices, which I think only comes with experience. You see, in Mar Marcus Misty's chances now, the only thing we can hope that happens is obviously he learns from that over time. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised though. Going back to your question about Ollie, that this has happened. I mean, Ollie was one of the best movers and finishers that. United have had in the last 20 years, you know, because, you know, a lot of people forget about Ollie. He was, he was probably one of the, out of those four strikers that we had at the time, Cole, York, Solskjaer, Sheringham. Solskjaer was probably the most clinical out of them. He was probably the most deadly. He might not have played the most minutes, but there was a reason why you bring him on late in games because you knew he only needed one chance. He's a little bit like that, you know, he's instinctive and he knew where to, you know, he knew where to find space and he knew when, when the chance dropped to his feet, he was very good at taking it. So I suppose we shouldn't be surprised that, you know, that our strikers are doing quite well under a manager like Oli. But uh, like I said, there's still these things that they need to improve on. But I think a lot of that is going to be down to their own personal development in terms of will they learn from these mistakes? Because there's no substitute for experience. And obviously, you only you only make these mistakes, you only learn from these mistakes by making these mistakes. So next time Rashford gets a ball across the box like that, will he pick a corner or will he just hit it straight at the keeper again? I think you could drill that under a time in training if you're Ollie. If, if Rashford's not going to make that right decision at that right time, that pivotal time, he's, he's never going to learn. So 
that's what we want to see from him now. But I'm sure that they'll get there. I mean, I know we can't keep saying Rashford Young because he's getting more and more experienced and obviously he's played a lot of games now, but he still has got more learning to do. He's still got to miss more big chances. Probably in more crucial games than this. Oh, there might be more pain to come yet, but at some point the penny will drop, I'm sure. And obviously we know with Mason, he's I think he's slightly different to Marcus in the fact that he's more of a natural finisher. So, and I think the key to Mason is, and maybe Rashford can learn more from it, is maybe Mason doesn't think about it too much. Maybe, I always think the best finishers are the ones that are instinctive, that just know where to put the ball and just do it. And sometimes I look at Rashford in certain situations, I just think he's overthought it. Overthought it. So it's 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 easily done, but like I say, he's got to learn from it, and a lot of that will come from himself. And obviously, advice from Wally. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one because it's always been, it's actually always been the point on Rashford, even when he was coming through the youth academy, that the composure wasn't there, and it, it actually caught a lot of people off guard that in those first few games he played, that he scored so much because he wasn't doing that in the academy. His overall game was good but it was the finishing that let him down. And it kind of goes back to when, with our talk with Mbappe to the point of where I feel like Mbappe has different ways that he shoots. While I feel Rashford it keeps doing the same thing. He tries to... Straight legged shot, isn't it? Yeah, he tries to smack it in as hard as he can. And the, he can learn nothing from Cavani, but listen to how Bruno spoke about his goals yesterday that he was able that second goal that he scored in the interview that he did he picked out exactly the type of finish that was needed i think that's something rashford does need to improve on but i'll bring this to you hater and it's an interesting one because people keep saying that how he hasn't been good over the last six months but yet he has 17 goals and 11 assists which really if you do project that out towards the end of the season he's gonna go way higher than any of his previous seasons for Manchester United. And I find this is even more important because of just how bad productivity-wise that Anthony Martial has been this season, where you can probably pick out a couple of games where Martial's played very good. But then you look at Rashford, and he's pretty much been one of the better performers for Manchester United, but yet he constantly has been getting criticism. I'll kind of point out just some of the other stats that when I was going through it today. Um, so, for example, when I was just comparing him to some of the other kind of wingers, because that's where he plays. He doesn't play as a central striker, so I think it's important. When you look at it in terms of some of the really key stats, and I'll mention here, but most of them are in the 90th percentile, which is is insane. But basically, in terms of his non-penalty goals, he's in the 92nd percentile, so it's in the, pretty much the highest... So you're kind of comparing him with Mo Salah, Raheem Sterling. Actually, one of the top ones is Leon Bailey from Leverkusen. You have his XG is not in the 92nd percentile. You have his assists are in the 77th. When you go into kind of all the dribbling stats and the progressive passes, and they're all up into the 90s. So it shows you just how important he is, not just for scoring goals, but that build-up play. Does he need to improve on kind of his decision-making and his finishing? Yes, but do you think this kind of talk around Rashford in the past kind of 24 hours is completely overblown? Well, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, those stats are fantastic, Kieran. Really, really good. Good good work on that. I mean, I didn't realise. And uh, it's important. It's what we said on the, the Masterclass yesterday. Stats are important, but then also you've got to use your eyes. That's important as well. Oh, you know what? Most of the hate towards Rashford, and this is how sad it is, Kieran and Joe, you'll know what I'm about to say, is coming from people who prefer Martial or coming from people who have a preference of a player over another. It's why Dan James gets hate. Um, you know, it's why Martial gets hate as well. Whatever Martial, whatever form he's in, he does get a lot more hate than he deserves. The reason why we're, we're frustrated with Martial is because we know how good he can be. Back in the last season, how good he was the best striker in the league back in the last season. And that's a frustration. It should never descend to like, because you like one player or another, then you should be constantly going after this player. I think that's where it comes from. Another problem as well is the ones that really do like Marcus comparing to Mbappe, and he's just not at that level. And and until he improves decision-making, which for me, I feel like decision-making, like Joe says, finishing is instinctive. I think decision-making, you've either got it 
or you don't. You can develop a bit of it, but it's something that you just have. Like, Jin Sancho just has it, right? He just has the decision-making. Ronaldo's one player who probably learned it, I would say. That's an example where Marcus could, but has Marcus got that blinkered sort of um, dedication to be the greatest of all time? He works hard, but I don't think he's got that. So it's very, very difficult. When I look at Marcus, he's definitely improved. We spoke about, well, you saw my thread and we spoke about it today, Kieran, myself and you, and, and Joe was obviously in the conversation. He will probably go and beat his 22 goals and 13 or 14 assists from last season, which is fantastic. It's just 20, 20 goals in, in a row. He's definitely improved. He's he's very, very much more involved in the build-up. I mean, you saw that pass for Bruno yesterday for his first goal. He's been doing that since lockdown. And he's really improved that, that deep pass. He's really improved his playmaking. But unfortunately, when it matters, when you need to put the ball in the net, there have been a few times where he hasn't. Conversely, he's also scored a lot of important goals. It's always somewhere in the middle. We always say this. He's improved immensely. He's improved his general game. He's affecting games, even when he plays poorly, which has been a lot of the times. Remember the cross for Pogba against Burnley? He had an absolute shocker on that right-hand side. And something to take into consideration, he's been shifted. He's played striker, he's played left wing, he's played right. They're all different roles. People think it's just easy. That's why players that can play across the front three are absolute gold dust right now. And that's why managers want players that can play across the front three. We've looked at Timo Werner, a player that struggled, even though he's able to play across the front three. It's a very difficult thing to do. And considering all those things, Marcus has played off the right pretty well, I think, you know, considering that he's not really that comfortable there. So... Look, he's definitely developed. Do United need someone else in that front line who's more clinical? Yes, 100%. Someone's got better decision-making? Yes. Two of those players are Jane Sancho and Harlan, probably which what probably who Oli wanted in the front three. So, look, he's a tough one. Um, he's not. A, he should not be absolved of criticism, but he's also definitely improved. And, and the hate's weird, mate. Very weird. Yeah. To kind of finish it off today, I'm going to give this last question to you joe and to kind of continue on rashford is can a team win trophies with rashford as the second or third best player on the team it's really tough on that one because i think it all depends on who's the first who is the best player in the team who you're putting around him to enable him to you know if, if rashford's number two who's number one is number one because it's there's players you could think of that you could you could upgrade on Marcus, but may still not give you quite enough to, to win a title alone, if you know what I mean. So it's difficult. I think I think they can win a title with Marcus Rashford in the team. I think he's got the he, his output of stats there that you've shown already, 20 goals a season, assists like he does. That is enough to win your title if you've got three or four of the players that will do that. We know that Bruno will churn out those numbers and more. We know that obviously someone like Sancho comes in, he probably gives you those numbers. All of a sudden you've added another player in who can do that. You're getting closer. So I do think you can do it with Rashford, but you're going to have to get some really good chief support in around him sort of thing. Because I do think with Marcus, there is there is, there is some elite mentality there in the sense that he has, he has got a focus about him. He's got a determination and, and a will to do things. We've seen that with his off-field thing. So we know he's got that. In his mind, what we what we have what we not what we've not yet seen, sorry, is that ability to put it into action all the time. I think his his brain wants to do one thing, but his body and his ability not quite yet. But I think if you do put other players around him, I do think that this team there. I mean, if like Hayden said, if Solskjaer got Haaland and Sancho, you'd like to think that this team probably would be a lot closer to Man City and a lot closer to a title right now. So that proves that obviously, because Rashford would play in that team. Rashford would play in a team with Haaland and Sancho. It's not at the expense of Rashford necessarily. So, yeah, I think they can, but, when I've, you know, you've got to really put great players around him. It's not just going to... He won't bring a title to United on his own. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think a lot of these are really good points and stuff that we can definitely be talking about over the next few weeks anyway and see how how it goes. Um, Again, I just want to thank both of you for joining me today. Um. Again, just make sure that you subscribe onto YouTube, the Hollis Sports Podcast. You can subscribe onto, look, we're on Spotify, Anchor, pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. Again, you can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram 
and we'll be with you next week.